Welcome to the Hey Salespeople podcast, where we focus on delivering immediately actionable best practices for sales professionals. I'm your host, Jeremy Donovan from SalesLoft. Hey, salespeople. Today is my great pleasure to have Lauren Rayapu on with me. Welcome, Lauren. Hi, thank you for having me. Lauren is an enterprise account executive at Yapo. They are an e-commerce marketing platform with solutions for loyalty, reviews, and communications. As usual, we won't be talking about companies. We're going to talk about sales. And the reason we're talking to Lauren today is because I had been asking around about top AEs in various companies, and one of her sales leaders had recommended that we speak with her. We're going to get started by getting to know Lauren a little bit, and I'm going to ask her a question about her favorite book. So Lauren, what is, uh, could be sales, doesn't have to be sales. What's what's one of your favorite books and why? I'll give you two, um, one sales semi-related, one not. So I think generally my favorite book is Pride and Prejudice. Love Jane Austen, read all of her books. And a book that's semi-sales related that I read recently is How to Talk to Anyone. I think it's like 92 tricks on how to talk to anyone. and whether you're in sales or not, I think it's a fantastic book. I think everyone could benefit from it, even if you only read part of it. It's a really cool way to, when you walk into a room, how to engage with people. So the the theme today is going to be all around understanding best practices of top AEs. I'd love to understand maybe some of the people that you've had the opportunity to learn from during your career. I mean, maybe wind the clock back as early as relevant. Let me know a name of a top AE that you worked with and what was it that they did that made them special? Sure. Actually, I'll wind the clock back a lot. And this goes back to my first sales internship when I was in college. So I got into the sales internship in Boston and I still remember my account executive that I worked under. His name was John Stamos. To be honest, he changed my life in so many ways. He really mentored me. He took me to like so many meetings. And as an intern, you're just so excited to go to any type of client-facing meeting. And I always remember this. He sort of like drilled this into my head as to what sets excellent salespeople apart from basic salespeople. Use what's on the sides of your head, your ears. Listen. And I think a lot of times, myself included, we get into this, into a behavior or into this pattern of just doing the same conversation every single time we're talking to a client. And we're not necessarily actively listening. We think we are, you know, we're jotting down a few notes here and there, but are we truly listening? Are we watching the person on the screen or in person? Like what's their body language like? What is that telling me? So listening and then doing more listening than you are speaking. What did you do to sharpen your listening skills after you got that advice? Taking writing down or, you know, writing on my computer notes. I always think it's better to be super engaged in the conversation and listening that way. But what I find challenging for myself is on the next call or the next meeting, remembering all that information or those pain points or those challenges or just even certain bits and pieces of what they said, their mannerisms, et cetera. So for me, to be an active listener, it does mean taking notes. On the call summary side, do you often do call summaries or do you, I should say often, always, what's your rule about summaries after meetings? It's interesting. So I used to be the kind of person or salesperson that would send a follow no matter what, no matter how the call went. Now I've changed it a little bit. So I think people that are genuinely interested in the product, or I do see an opportunity there, I will always, of course, send a follow-up or a call summary to people that I'm like, not really sure if this is going anywhere. I don't. The reason for that is I would rather that person come to me and email me and say, Hey, Lauren, 
can you send me the notes or that deck that we walk through? Because then I can actually see like, oh, there's actual interest here. For those prospects where you're you're not getting the warm fuzzy early on in the in the opportunity, will you also give them more homework than you would give a, a highly engaged prospect? Yeah, I think absolutely. At times, you need to get some skin in the game from them, right? And how do you do that? You have to test them, understand like, are they really going to be my champion? And the only way to do that is to ask from them. What are some of the asks that you, that you will make of them? It depends on where we are in the sales process. I think from the get-go, I always want to get more people involved. You know, whether it's people above them or people below them or, you know, their counterparts. The more a person is willing to involve their colleagues into a meeting or into a call, into a sales process, the more engaged I immediately think that they are. That's it. You know, you often hear that you need the champion to introduce you to power, but you also mentioned something that I think no one has mentioned on the show yet so far, which is to get people potentially who are lower in the organization. Does that only apply to their own direct reports, or could that be other other people in other in other parts of the organization? Like, uh, well, I don't actually I don't want to leave the witness here, so so I'll, I'll leave it there. I actually think cross department is even more impactful. Particularly what I sell, it can impact multiple departments. So having someone bring on people that are outside of their immediate org or their department just shows like this is something that's going to impact the business as a whole, not just me personally or not just my job personally. We started talking about talented people that you worked for, salesperson John Stamos, not actor. After John Stamos, as you graduated from University of Virginia and got out into the into the real world, did you start? Did that internship inspire you to start into sales, or did you decide to go a different direction? Absolutely, one hundred percent. I don't think I would have been in sales. Where did you go first? I started at Fox Sports in advertising sales in New York. What I wanted to do um, is to be in a client facing role. And that wasn't, it was a bit more like back office supporting salespeople. And I was like, I don't want to support salespeople. I want to be a salesperson. So I found that was looking online at, you know, sales jobs and an opportunity at Experian opened up as a BDR role. At the time I knew like there were probably hundreds, if not thousands of people applying to this job. So what I did was I found out who the BDRs were currently at that company. And I would call them like nonstop. Just harass them and be like, hey, like, do you know if your boss like read my resume yet? You know, are they going to bring me in? And at one point, one of the BDRs said, you know, we really, it's great that you're so passionate, but you can relax. Like they're, they're going to get back to you. I am curious, you had that kind of inside support or sales coordinator role. What was the difference between that role and, and being an, an SDR? What did you do and, and not do in those differences? In the, the more like back office type of role, I was pulling more analytics and data and I wasn't, you know, calling out to companies at all. But in the BDR role, of course, like that's all you do all day long. And I always say to salespeople or to young salespeople who are, you know, just out of college, it's really important, I think, to be a BDR. And I will never forget that role. I was only in that role, I think, for like three or four months, to be honest, before I graduated to an inside sales role. But I learned so much in those four months. I made some of the best friends of my life in those months. Um, and I worked my butt off in those months too, but it keeps you hungry. You also have a real understanding of people that support you. Like now when working with my BDRs, I, you know, I have so much appreciation for what they do. I know what they're going through. I know how to support them and encourage them, especially because it's a tough, it's a tough job. 
well, since you just mentioned your relationship with BDRs, I do want to go there now, actually, and then we'll come back to some of your people that you learned from over at Experian. You know, different reps have different types of relationships with their BDRs, and, and you're an enterprise rep. Oftentimes, enterprise reps don't prospect themselves, right? Their SDRs prospect exclusively for them. I'm wondering where you draw the line and what you need from your BDR and what you do yourself. I think it is always a conversation. And I think in the enterprise level, you definitely have to be very strategic, right? Being in this industry for so many years, um, I've been fortunate enough to gain a pretty strong network. So if it's someone that I'm, let's say, connected to, or I know someone at the organization or know someone who knows someone, I am always happy to send that email, to send that LinkedIn message, to make a phone call, to send a text message. So working with your BDR in that capacity like, let me do outreach to my network. And then you got you can do the more cold outbound stuff. That works pretty effectively for us. But I also think just being in constant communication with your BDRs is really important too. Sometimes the split is the AE will engage the more senior people and the BDR will engage the more junior people. It doesn't sound like that's necessarily your approach. I think that, again, if it's someone, I know someone who knows someone, whether wherever they are in the company, as long as it's a relevant contact, I'm always happy to do that outreach. I just think it's more impactful if I know the person and that message comes from me than if it came from someone that they didn't know, like my BDR. <laughs> that sort of senior engagement versus more junior person in the organization engagement is one of the other classic questions, especially in enterprise selling, which is top down or bottom up? I think top down. I think the reason it comes up so often, right, is Usually enterprise sellers have a, a smaller number of accounts that they go after. And if you burn an account, it's a problem until that person, I guess, that you try to engage moves on and people do move. I guess the argument for bottom up is you can spend some time learning from the people who are even at the individual contributor level and then trickling that up into more senior folks in the organization. It's obviously context dependent upon on, on what you sell. So I'm guessing that you know for e-commerce marketing platforms, it's better to go to, I would assume, the CMO pretty early on. I would agree. So I do understand definitely the argument for, for going bottom up. I find that it's a longer sales cycle. And I also think as you move you know, further down the funnel, when you get to, let's say, contracting or even pricing, it's hard to move to the next step when you don't have that high level support right from the get-go. One thing that someone mentioned to me the other day was spending a bunch of time with individual contributors, asking them about a day in the life to learn what's working for them, not working for them, going to their manager, giving a synthesis, talking to a bunch of managers, doing a synthesis and working your way up. I mean, it's a very slow and methodical process. So I, I'm curious if that's a valuable approach for, for ultimately selling You know what you sell to CMOs, because again, it's so context dependent. I think that's absolutely valid. And I think it's most valid in the truly enterprise companies and accounts, because more likely than not, a massive multi-billion dollar retailer, the CMO is probably not going to be your first call. They're not going to take that call with you, most likely, unless they have done their research and they know what they're buying. So in many instances, we've had multiple calls with more individual contributor level people and eventually, maybe months down the line, even could be even longer than a year, we get to that, maybe that director level or even that VP level and mention those things that we learned from those individual contributors. And it makes for a much more impactful call. Like, hey, I know what your direct reports are going through. These are the challenges that they echoed to me. 
I would understand that these could have business impacts. Can you talk to me a little bit more about that? So they immediately have a little bit more, you have a little bit more credibility when you talk to those higher level people. You'd mentioned earlier as well about building your network and that at this point, you've got a pretty good network going that that oftentimes when you're engaging an account, you, you already know somebody there. Do you have advice for salespeople who are earlier in their careers about how, how to act effectively build their network? So I would say in a pre-pandemic world, go to as many trade shows as you can. Um, that's honestly how I probably built my ne- network from the beginning. And now there's online events too, right? Um, we at Yapo, we host you know wine events monthly and lots of other engaging marketing events and happy hours and things like that. But um, without those, I would definitely say LinkedIn. LinkedIn is a treasure chest of networking, right? And there's lots of ways to go about it. You mentioned like the $25 Amazon gift card. Maybe it's reaching out to someone saying, hey, like I really admire your resume and, and where you've worked. I, I'd love to chat with you. You know, maybe send them a Starbucks gift card saying, hey, maybe we could do like a virtual coffee. One of the things I love, if someone sends me, for example, I love data. So if they were to send me a report or some data of some kind that either they generated themselves or that they pulled from a third party source, that's going to get my attention. Whereas if you just connect with me and then blast me with, you know, a request immediately, I'm going to ignore that. I might even I might even block the person, which I I rarely do. I accept almost every LinkedIn connection. But if you blast me with two pages of LinkedIn text all about you, then I'm probably not going to want to continue to be connected. Um, I really like what you said about making it all about you. I think oftentimes outreach is often like, you know, my name's Lauren and I'm an account executive at Yapo. And then blah, 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 yapo, 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 or wherever they work. But making it more, if not all about the individual you're reaching out to is so important. Whether you're a BDR, whether you're a salesperson, whether you're an executive, I think we often lose sight of that, making it about the customer. On that context, we talk a lot on the show about ways that companies can truly add value in the early top of the funnel part of sales engagement. So often, salespeople take the bottom of funnel content that their marketing team gives them, case studies, testimonials, what have you, and send those really early. I don't think that's value early in the sales cycle. Do you have some assets that you like to use that truly add value to prospects early on? I completely agree with you there too. I think that especially if this is a person that you've never spoken to before, has not shown interest in what you're selling, it's more impactful to send a more generalized article. Like here's an industry specific article. I thought this trend was interesting. Like CNBC is saying about the next six months or post pandemic world, you know, it just got me thinking about your business and what, what are you guys doing along these lines? I'd love to learn more because then it's really about them. It's not about what I'm trying to sell you. <laughs> yeah, much more valuable that way. So, you know, you worked for a number of incredibly impressive organizations. So it doesn't necessarily have to be at Experian, you know, either prior employers like Salesforce that you worked at or, or current ones uh, there, obviously at Yapo. Who's maybe one other salesperson that had a unique approach that you tried to clone or mimic? Honestly, my current boss, Mike Dash, I learned from every day. He's probably the best boss I've ever had. <laughs> And um, what I learned from him is that one, he's really good at listening to and finding pain points. Even think like when I have him on a call, he catches things or nuances or the way someone said something differently than I did. That's why I also think it's really valuable 
to never go in as a loan shark. You know, of course, in the beginning and early conversations, certainly do that. But as you move further down the funnel, especially with bigger opportunities and bigger companies, it's important to bring on your colleagues, whether it's, you know, your manager or your boss, but maybe it's cross-departmental. Like, hey, I want to bring in someone from our customer success team or our product expert. Again, it adds a layer of credibility, but it also having more ears in a conversation is better than having go, you know, being solo in that conversation because they'll catch things that you didn't catch. I wanted to shift gears one more time over to some of the processes and tools that uh, I always love talking to enterprise AEs that enterprise AEs use. I'm curious on your opinions on a couple of things. The first one is mutual success plans. Do you use mutual success plans or I don't know what you call them at Yachtpo, but uh, do you use those with your customers consistently? Not consistently. We should. It depends on you know size of opportunity. And also, I think, depends on your customer that you're working with. Is this a champion that is willing to do this with me? And I think that's another great test of a champion. If they are willing to um, embark and engage on a mutual close plan, a mutual success plan, then you know that you've got someone in your corner. If they're not willing to or, or reluctant to, then you still have some building to do. Got it. It's just sort of desired when applicable at Yapo. Was it required when you were at Salesforce to do mutual plans or not there either? It was required, yes. Having been in both worlds, one where you, you do it based on context or one where I presume you introduce it relatively early because it's required, which one do you think is, is more effective? Again, I think it depends on what you're selling. What I was selling at Salesforce was very different what I'm selling, of what I'm selling at Yapo. I think they can definitely be effective but I think it's also how they are presented to the customer. I love how you call it a mutual success plan, not necessarily a mutual close plan. One of the complaints that AEs have about mutual success plans is that prospects never really look at them or update them. Have you found that prospects are willing to make updates on their own? I personally haven't, but I know colleagues of mine who have been in that position. And wow, I'm like, that is a A++ champion that you've got there but I would love that. <laughs> so I would love to know other salespeople's tricks of how they get their clients to go in and update a mutual success plan. I, I think I've yet to talk to somebody who actually had the prospect to update them. But again, I think that's, I think that's okay. Every instance of, of account planning initiative I've ever seen, whether it was a company I worked at or elsewhere, it has legs for about a year, maybe a year and a half maximum. And then it just collapses under its own weight because... At the very least, AEs seem to hate to do them. And there may be a question about the value of them as well. Like, is, is that, we've talked a lot about effective and judicious use of time. Is that actually a good use of time? What, what's your stance on account, creating account plans? I would have to say that I'm probably one of the AEs that falls into the bucket of I don't love doing them. I do find them helpful in some instances. I think that it's not really super helpful when you have had no engagement with an account. You know, if you're going after some mega whale out there and you're creating an account plan from scratch, you never really had engagement from them, I don't know what real benefit that can have. But if you have had some touch points and you have gained some information, whether it's not even directly from the company itself, but maybe from other vendors that you've spoken to that work with that company or agencies, then I think there could be impact. And the impact I think account plans can have is getting multiple departments outside of sales on the same page. Because to break into these larger accounts, 
it's not just sales that's going to do it, right? It's marketing, it's product, it's um, you know executive management too. So having um, everyone again having a little bit of skin in the game for multiple departments into one account can be impactful. Do you currently retain accounts after after you close them, or do you hand them off to an account manager or someone else to expand? Recently, um, they we've changed it. So we do um, keep accounts for a certain period of time and have the opportunity to upsell them, which is great, right? As an account executive, that is the ideal because you've built these relationships. And especially at Yapo, where we sell multiple products, the upsell opportunities and you know, if customers wanting to bring in other products in a phase two or a phase three is pretty significant. As, and I guess one last question on account plans is, there's so many facets to them. What do you think is the part of account planning that is actually a good use of time? I really like um, the relationship mapping often. In the industry that I'm in, it's a small industry and a lot of people know each other, especially at your own company at the executive level. You know, who are my executives connected to at this company that they can make an introduction or our board members can make an introduction to someone on their board? That goes a long way. LinkedIn would probably be the ideal people to do this, right? Like you add someone to an account plan and it immediately tells you for that person, who are you connected to that can provide an intro to that person? Again, super pleasure to, to chat with you. I have to believe right now, I mean, hiring is, is, is seems to be crazy. I have to believe you're hiring. So if people want to get in touch with you to potentially, you know, look at opportunities at Yapo, what are the best way for them to do that? Um, they should connect with me on LinkedIn. We are hiring like crazy across departments, um, including sales. So would love to, to chat with anyone out there who's interested in getting in at whatever level, whether it's entry level or at the AE level. So your headquarters is New York, if I'm not mistaken. Yes, we are in New York City. Are all the jobs in New York or it could be anywhere? Well, I'm, I'm in Boston now. A lot of our salespeople have um, was kind of scattered. I have to believe salaries are actually going to go up substantially in some of the cities simply because you've had this mass exodus from uh, professionals from New York, from San Francisco. I know of those two, but I would presume the same is probably true of Chicago and LA and all the major places. I think you're right. I think to attract people back to these cities, it's what's going to happen. Awesome. Well, again, thanks so much for chatting today. Jeremy, it was great. Thank you for having me. Hey, Salespeople is a production made in partnership with Frequency Media. I'm your host, Jeremy Donovan. This podcast is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever podcasts are found. Thanks for listening to the Hey, Salespeople podcast. 